We're here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio 98.9 FM at 1340 AM flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you live from the Wisden in Las Vegas because for about two and a half years now, the pandemic that began in 2020 continues to keep us out of the Fox Sports residential Bank Corp studio. And of course, today we're without internet. I left my phone at home. And so we are winging it from uh, the, from Spencer Studio in Las Vegas. We're going to have a good time. There's a lot planned for you. And uh, joining me on the show is our social media director, Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Spoken. Well, he does have his own theme music. We'll get to that next week. Like I said, a little out of sorts today. Back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Court studio, pulling all that hair out of his head right now is producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who, aside from producing a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. The show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O U. T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Adeline Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bay Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Okay, and it is time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 to get information on all of the home financing options available in the state of Nevada. On Tap, 10 teams in the NHL, including the Vegas Golden Knights, will start the season with a new head coach. Thoughts on who will be the best? We'll let you know. Fact, this is about the best teams in baseball. Aces up. Kelsey Plum got a gift that you'll like to hear about. It's pretty cool. And former ace Liz Gampage got a divorce. You'll want to hear about that as well. The Aviators are getting ready for a battle for first place in the Pacific Coast League. And the Bones is back because the Raiders are in camp and getting ready to kick off their preseason this coming Thursday, and we are going to get you ready as well. That's what's on tap if you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own. Choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on all of your home financing options. You can get that information today. And... Uh, before we get going, I know we're all out of sorts and everything. I just want to thank everyone for the past couple of weeks. I have been off two weeks in a row. Last week, visiting my dad in Detroit. I had my uh, 30th birthday for the second time, which was pretty cool. And, um, and uh, you know, Spencer and uh, Mags did a great job filling in. I also want to thank Chris Wynn, who helped us out as well today. We could use all that help and more today without any Internet here in uh, the Wiz Den. But uh, go ahead, Mags, if you got it, hit nightcap. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Yeah, puck starting here. And real quickly, uh, Chris, I know a little bit of interest to you being a New Jersey Devils fan. Former Golden Knights assistant coach Ryan McGill was hired by the Devils to join Lindy Ruff's staff. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I I think it's interesting. You know, he'll he'll 
team back up with Eric Hall. Of course, Ryan McGill was here for the first five seasons of the Golden Knights. Eric Hall, now a member of the New Jersey Devils. So, uh, you know, those two those two linking back up, we'll see if there's any type of connection there. Um, you know, Andrew Burnett, who was the interim coach of the Florida Panthers and ended up winning the President's Trophy, he's actually now on the New Jersey Devils staff as well. So, Devils, while not changing head coaches, they're certainly making changes on the assistant coach level. So, uh, I wish Ryan a lot of luck, and obviously, I still follow the Devils. I technically am not supposed to root for the New Jersey Devils. Uh, but, you know, I like to see them do well, and, and I hope Ryan has a lot of success, and I hope the Devils have a lot of success. Well, technically, we're not supposed to root for anyone, Chris, so we, can, we can't help it. We're not supposed to root for the Vegas Golden Knights either. Um, but, you know, I, um, I, you know, just like yourself, the reason I feel good, and I've, I've told people in Detroit this, as a matter of fact, I just had this discussion last week on being a Golden Knights fan from Detroit. I'm like, look, I've lived in Vegas since 2004. The Knights came around in 2017. They didn't come from another city. They came, they were completely an expansion team in every respect. So they basically formed while I was here. Plus, we had that incredible, horrible incident happen October 1st of 2017. And the Knights kind of ignited this city after that. And it was miraculous. The whole thing was magical. I don't know how anybody living in Vegas that time, no matter where your affiliation was or who you cheered for. If you didn't become a Golden Knights fan, you probably were half not human. You might be part cyborg. I mean, it was an incredible run, Chris, and I think all of us became Knights fans. But, hey, the bottom line is, like I say to everyone, I'm pulling for the Knights to play the Red Wings in the playoffs every year. That'll mean they're meeting in the Stanley Cup final. I can live with that. Who will I root for if that day comes? Well, you'll have to find out. Let that day get here first. But I don't think anyone has a problem with uh, us in the media having relations. The bottom line is we just have to sit on our hands at games. That's the most important thing. And, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk about it, Chris, but a couple of weeks ago the Golden Knights finally did officially re-sign Riley Smith to a three-year, $15 million contract extension. And subsequently, to help with the salary cap, they traded Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coghlan to the Carolina Hurricanes for future considerations. Chris, your thoughts on all that? Well, I mean, look, I I, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. I, I, I was on another show recently, and the way I equated it, Brian, is when I was 18, I was dumb. You know, you, you know a lot more in your 40s than you do at 18. And the Golden Knights were the 18-year-old kid fresh out of high school who was walking around his college campus and was approached by a bank to get a credit card. And they apply, they get approved, they get that credit card, whatever the limit is, $1,000, $2,000. I remember being 18, I got a credit card, it was for $1,000. It was a $1,000 limit. I had no idea about interest. I didn't know how any of that worked. For me, it was, hey, free money. So, of course, I maxed out that credit card as soon as I possibly could, you know, buying sneakers and clothes and stuff and all nice, cool stuff. And sure enough, in about six months, that credit card was maxed out. All of a sudden, I started getting bills. You owe $147. And I'm like, wait a minute. What is this from? I, I only I only use $1,000. Where's where this extra $47 every month coming from or whatever it was? The Golden Knights maxed out their credit card. And now they were overdrawn on their account. And they're, now they have to pay back the interest of all that money that they thought was free. And granted, I mean, obviously, McPhee and, and McCrimmon didn't think it was free money. But they, they maxed out their credit card, Brian. And now they're paying back all that interest at a really high price compared to, uh, 
you know, what, what, whatever the, uh, you know, the, the, the total amount is, Brian. I mean, they, they, they screwed up the cap. I don't care how they spin it. Two years in a row, you give up two really important players. Last year, the reigning Vesna Trophy winner. Uh, and, and let's not forget, we go back a couple years ago when they signed Alex Petrangelo. They traded away another fan favorite at Nate Schmidt and got very little back because they were up against the salary cap. That was before Jack Eichel. That was the year that that they, they, there was going to be the 56-game season. They went all in on Petrangelo coming out of the bubble. They were up against the cap. They had to trade away Nate Schmidt to the Winnipeg Jets. They got basically nothing in return for that. Last year, they trade away Marc-Andre Fleury. They get a player back from the Chicago Blackhawks who is a minor league guy, and they don't even – they send him back to Chicago. So – uh, Brian, this year they traded away Max Pacioretty, and let's be honest, everyone's kind of forgetting that they also traded away Dylan Coughlin, who was a, who was an NHL defenseman. You know, I mean, that's the other thing. It's not so much they just gave up Pacioretty, but they gave up another NHL defenseman, Brian, and that was to have to not give up draft pick to, 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 for Carolina to take Pacioretty. You know, I saw something with Alan Walsh, who was uh, Max Pacioretty's agent, also Marc-Andre Fleury's agent, and he was alluding to the idea that the Carolina Hurricanes kind of enjoyed the fact that they were able to get Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coughlin for nothing. Like they really took a lot of a lot of a lot of fun in the idea that they were able to basically screw over the Golden Knights. And and you know whether or not that's true, I, I don't know. But the the Piper came calling, Brian, and it's time to pay the bill. And the Golden Knights right now have been paying the bill now for going on three seasons, trading away valuable, not only valuable players, but. Fan favorites as well, and and I think you know. I, I mean, let's be honest. I I think they're in a situation where there's really no relief in sight for this team because you you are now relying on a a a older core. You you, I think they'll be fine as far as replacing the production of Patch Ready. I think a healthy Jack Eichel will do that. But this is a team that is one injury away from missing the playoffs again. And they're not in a position where they can go out and sign anybody. They're not in a position where they can go out and trade for anybody. So I I don't see how this gets better any time in the near future. It's going to be really interesting the way it plays out, Chris. You make you make a real a lot of good points because one injury, one of their key players, we've seen what that can done. And last year, not an indication of how good this team was on paper because of all of the injury hours and man hours they lost during the season. You know, we pointed out last year, had they made the playoffs, they would have had the most man injury hours in a season of any team to ever make the playoffs. I mean, that's how uh, how riddled with injuries this team was last year. Pat Charetti, one of those guys that's on the shelf, not on the shelf, but you're right, Coglin, a young up-and-coming defenseman, somebody they're not talking a lot about. And Carolina, man, already a ridiculously good hockey team, just make gets better, adding two pretty quality players to their roster. But signing Riley Smith did help. And if the Golden Knights can manage to stay relatively healthy this season, they should be able to compete with pretty much anybody in the league. Uh, you know, obviously some really good squads, but we'll see what's going to happen. Chris, I wanted to ask you about this. You know, you, you know, there's always change and turnover, especially at the coaching ranks in every professional sport. But 10 teams start the season with new head coaches, and the Vegas Golden Knights are one of those teams. Which one will lead their team to the most wins next season? And when you're talking about that and you look at the head coaches, you got the Boston Bruins with Jim Montgomery, Luke Richardson with the Chicago Blackhawks, 
Of course, Peter DeBoer now with the Dallas Stars. You got Derek Lalonde with the Detroit Red Wings. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Paul Maurice with the uh, Florida Panthers. Lane Lambert is with the New York Islanders. You got John Tortorella with the Philadelphia Flyers. David Quinn with the San Jose Sharks. Of course, Bruce Cassidy with us here in the Vegas Golden Knights. And then Rick Bonus with the Winnipeg Jets. Out of all those guys, Chris, who do you think has the most success next year? Well, I think Paul Maurice in Florida, and, and it's and taking the easy way out because Florida is the reigning President's Trophy winners. Um, so, so I think it's an easy uh, decision to go with them because this is a team that just traded away Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Wiegers. Uh, Huberdeau is, is a massive, massive assist guy, but he doesn't score a ton of goals. They picked up Keith Kachuk, or Keith Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk in that trade with the Calgary Flames. So I like what Florida has done. I think this is a team that will score a ton of goals again, and I don't think it'll work in the playoffs again, but I think in the regular season it'll be fine. Uh, the other guy that, that I kind of look at, and I don't necessarily know if he's going to win the most games, but I feel like they're probably going to have the greatest improvement in terms of games won last season to games won this season. And that's Derek Lalonde in Detroit yep. because I think I think Detroit really had a, a an extremely successful offseason. Uh obviously you you add a goalie in in Vili Husso, who was terrible in the playoffs, but he was really good in the regular season. So we'll see if he's able to you know, if, if he's the guy we saw in the playoffs or if he's the guy we saw in the regular season. My gut tells me he's the regular season guy. Obviously, you you add Andrew Kopp, a Michigan native, who who is a, a really he he was a guy who was kind of lost a bit in Winnipeg because they they had a lot of other really dynamic players who kind of overshadowed him. Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler being guys you know who, who come to mind. But he goes to New York and he shined in the Big Apple. Obviously, unrestricted free agent, Rangers unable to reach a deal with him. They they decided to go with a different direction. But Andrew Kopp, my gut all along was he was going to end up in Detroit because he he, he is a Michigan guy. I believe he's from Ann Arbor, so not a place you're, you're, you're crazy about. But uh, he, he is a Michigan guy, and he goes home to play with the Red Wings. They've already got a really good young core in Detroit. Obviously, uh, Lucas Raymond and uh, uh, Moritz Sider, two really, really good players. You add that with, with Dylan Larkin and uh, Tyler Bertuzzi. It, 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 they're going to be a good team. And, of course, now they, they also signed David Perron. So he's a guy who, who's a perennial 25-30 goal scorer. So Detroit, I don't know if, if they're going to win. I, I don't think they're going to win the most games. But I think as far as the team that will improve the most from last year to this season, I think the Red Wings are knocking on the door of a playoff position. We'll see. They're obviously in a very, very tough division. But, Brian, I, I, I think, you know, those are the two guys who I've got my eye on. Obviously, we're going to watch Bruce Cassidy very closely. Now, if you ask me who's the best coach out of the bunch, I think the Golden Knights got that guy. I think Bruce Cassidy is the best coach of the bunch. I just don't know about this team because there's so many questions about the health. If this is a yeah. fully healthy team, Golden Knights are, without a doubt, a playoff team. They're, without a doubt, knocking on the door for to win the Pacific Division and maybe be the number 1 overall seed in the West. I, I, I just I can't answer that most, because of the health. 
Yeah, no, I agree with almost all of what you said. I mean, I thought it, I was saying Paul Maurice as well. It's hard to pick against them. Florida, it just does nothing but get better, and what a great position to walk into, although it is a position where there's going to be a boatload of expectations. We saw that last year, win or you're going to get fired. I don't think Maurice will get one season, but the bottom line is there's a lot expected of the Panthers, and he's expected to pull the trigger on that. I agree 100% on the line. I think the Red Wings will be the most improved team in the NHL this year, and I love the line. I'm not sure who he looks more like. Like, if you added a goatee, he'd look like the late, great Donald Pleasance, or maybe if you put a light bulb in his mouth, he'd look like Uncle Fester. But either way, Lalonde, I really like what he brings to the table. And I'll tell you what, if you look at, you want to talk about the turnaround in Detroit, yes, it's the personnel, but where is that all coming from? It's coming from the second greatest or arguably the greatest player to ever come out of Detroit, Steve Eiserman. Again, we saw what he did with the with the, with Tampa Bay I mean this guy it understands hockey, he understands the nuances, and he's got such a great reputation that anybody in the league is going to talk to Steve Eiserman and listen to him and give him the time of day, and that's how you can create a great hockey team. So I really like what Lon, and a guy you didn't mention is our former coach, or I should when I say, our oh, here I am being a homer, but the Knights' former coach, Pete DeBoer, going to Dallas. I think Dallas has an opportunity to, again, be a pretty good team, a playoff team, and to improve as well. Look to see what DeBoer does. He's a, He's a motivator of players. He's going to be going to Dallas with a chip on his shoulder and wanting to prove that he is what the Golden Knights thought he was when they brought him here. So I see Dallas pretty good. When you say the best coach overall, I can't argue with Bruce Cassidy, but I do like John Tortorella, the Flyers, a lot too. Yeah, I, 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 I just don't see the Flyers. They, they're, they're not going to be very good. And I think the relationship, you know, this is a team that added Tony D'Angelo, a defenseman yep. who doesn't play defense. That's their big offseason move. I don't see that working out with a guy like John Tortorella. John Tortorella does not take too kindly to guys who don't put in a 100% effort. When your big off-season acquisition is a guy who, well, let's be honest, doesn't doesn't exactly have the greatest track record both yeah. on and off the ice. Look, offensively, you know, he he he's a talent, but defenseman sometimes you got to play defense and he doesn't do that all the time and that's not going to fly with John Tortorella. I will say this about about Pete DeBoer in Dallas. I think I think that's a good move for for Pete. I like the Dallas Stars, but they're they're going to lose John Klingberg, who who is yeah. one of the maybe more underrated defensemen in the NHL. But I, I love the idea of reuniting Pete DeBoer and Joe Pavelski. Joe Pavelski is one of my favorite guys in the league. He, he first of all he he's a he's an amazing human being off the ice, but he's a guy who you absolutely love. If you play with him, everyone I've ever talked to who's played with Joe Pavelski, they rave about what a great guy he is to play with, what a team guy he is, and he had his most success in the NHL with Pete DeBoer. I mean, this is a guy who was a seventh-round pick. It's not like he, you know, seventh-round picks who turn into all-stars don't grow on trees, but Joe Pavelski and and Pete DeBoer reuniting is going to be phenomenal, but I just don't know how much of a difference Pete DeBoer will make with Dallas in that division because you've got the Colorado Avalanche. Now, I, I think the Minnesota Wild will take a step back, but you've also got the St. Louis Blues, who, who are pretty good. Winnipeg is is not great, but they're not terrible. So for Dallas, while I, I like the hire of Pete DeBoer, I just don't think that there's the ceiling with them like there is with some of these other teams. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see, Brian, but I, I think people have success in Dallas. The problem is I, I just don't see them reaching the promised land. 
And I, I, I think they're probably on the on the I will say this. He's got an amazing goalie, Jake Ottinger. I mean, Jake Ottinger it, it really came in into his own last season. Yep. Um, and and Miro Haskinen is 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 just a phenomenal player to watch on the ice, but I I, I don't see the ceiling with the Dallas Stars like I do with maybe the the, the Florida Panthers, and I don't see them being the up and coming team like I do with with the Detroit Red Wings. I'm not going to argue that, but but you brought the, the reason up that I like the Dallas Stars. Ottinger has a chance to be one of the elite goaltenders in the National Hockey League, and we know Chris. All you got to do is make the postseason and get a real hot goaltender. I'll always defer to Jonathan Quick on that. All you got to do is get in and you can win the Stanley Cup if the goaltender decides he's going to start seeing beach balls. And Ottinger has that kind of ability and we saw it again, as you mentioned, last year in the postseason when he came into his own. And as far as Joe Pavalski goes, Chris, that's a guy that if he wants to in the postseason, he won't be retired one year before somebody's going to try to make him an NHL coach. It just depends. He's made so much money and that's such a serious career. Will he want to ride off into the sunset? Or will he want to be the head man behind an NHL bench? And I got a feeling Joe Pavalski is going to be a coach and probably a damn good one one day. He just, as you said, he is a player's player, and he will end up being a great player's coach if he ends up wanting to go that route. All right, let's move on and go ahead and hit the next segment. Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yeah, it's a fact. With two months to go in the season, the two best teams in Major League Baseball are, surprise, surprise, the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Yankees have played two more games and have two more wins. They have the same number of losses. This, in my opinion, will be the 2022 World Series matchup, and it will be epic. Although, many will say... Don't count out the Mets, the Astros, or the reigning world champion Atlanta Braves. Mags, being a native New Yorker, with both teams in the Big Apple having a legit shot at winning it all this season, who goes to the World Series and who wins it all? Well, we we got to clarify. I, I'm from the Jersey Shore. I'm not a native New I, Yorker. I know, but, I know that. But know cl- that. close enough. Um, I, I, I will say this. I, I do not think the Yankees are going to make the World Series. Their starting pitching is, eh, we saw Aaron Judge look like a mere mortal against Max Scherzer on Wednesday night. And there's a little team that plays in the Lone Star State that was basically two pitches away from sweeping the Yankees in all seven games they played this season. The Yankees did not lead the Astros at any point in those games until the walk-off wins. They trailed every single inning against the Houston Astros this year. I shouldn't say every single, but they they did not lead in any inning against the Astros this year. I think the Astros are better than the Yankees. And I'll say this too. I'm not sleeping on uh, the Seattle Mariners. They went out and, and they added the best pitcher that was available at the deadline from the from the Cincinnati Reds. Now, it could be a challenge for them to make the playoffs. I mean, there's certainly going to be a fight. But Seattle Mariners are are one of those teams that could be sneaking up on people. And I I, I don't know if they're going to make the World Series, but I'm not going to sleep on them. I, I I think they certainly could be ripe to pull an upset. Um, if if the uh, postseason started today, 
I believe the Seattle Mariners would be in the playoffs. Um, they would be one of the they, the second wild card team. So they're there. But I like the Astros. I like their pitching. I love. I, I still like Altuve. Uh, and and in the National League, look, I watched the New York Mets absolutely. I'm not going to say dominate the Yankees, but they looked like the like the superior team to the Yankees. Um, they, they, them and the Dodgers have played some really good games this year. I think what the National League is going to come down to is who makes the bigger move at the trade deadline. If the Mets somehow, some way, and there, there's been rumors floating around, if they were somehow, some way able to get Juan Soto, now the the the, the holdup apparently is the Mets don't want to give up all the prospects that the 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 Nationals want in return. I mean, look, and let's be honest, this is a team that plays in your division. This is a team that won the World Series not too long ago. So you you certainly don't want to help them out. But Juan Soto is a generational talent, and he wants to, from from everything I'm reading, he wants to play in New York. His cousin Marte plays for the New York Mets. If the Mets can add Juan Soto, they become hands down the team to beat, not only in the National League, but I think in all of baseball. They're doing all of this without Jacob DeGrom, who is one of the best pitchers in baseball. They're 67 or 63 and 37, and they've played almost the entire season without Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. If those two guys are healthy going into the playoffs, how do you beat that one two punch? I I, I mean it, it's I, I, I think the Dodgers are, are certainly more than capable of, of beating the Mets, but I don't think the Braves, despite the fact that they're they're only three games back, they played a lot of bad teams early on, and they were able to feast on those bad teams. Now the Mets are getting to the point in their schedule where they're going to be playing bad teams. We'll see what, what, what makes a difference down the stretch. But, I mean, Brian, I, I, I don't see anyone outside of one of those three teams. The Brewers, pfft, no. Cardinals, no. Padres, no. It's going to be a three-team race between the Mets, Dodgers, and the Braves. I think the Mets are, are built to win in the postseason. We'll see. I mean, if those arms are, aren't healthy, then I don't think the Mets are the team. But I'm going to go on the assumption that Scherzer and DeGrom are healthy. If that's the case, the Mets are going to the World Series. Yeah, I, I can't argue with your points. I, I like the Mets a lot. And what, again, and that's why I said to watch them, I just think the Dodgers, although uh, although Clayton Kershaw looked pretty bad last night, I still think the Dodgers are the team to beat in the National League. But I agree with you. If the Mets get their battery back and, 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 and DeGrom and Scherzer are healthy, that is that is as good of a one-two punch as you're going to find in baseball in the last two decades. I mean, it's incredible. And we'll see what happens with them. You know, as far as in the American League, there's nobody but the Astros and the Yankees. I hear what you're saying about Seattle. They had that incredible run to get themselves into the picture and brought themselves in. I just think they used up a lot, and I think it'd be tough for them. I don't like anybody in the Central. Minnesota, Cleveland, garbage. The White Sox, who I thought would be a good team, garbage. And the Toronto Blue Jays, they're, they're, they are actually a very entertaining team to watch. One of my favorite teams to watch this year play, I just don't think they're going to get beyond. If they get out of the wild card, uh, that's as far as they're going, and that's what I see in, in baseball. But, um, you know, I still I agree. I, I'm not going to disagree with you on the Yankees having a pedestrian pitching staff, which is something, you know, you are going to need in the postseason. But offensively, when they get going, yes, Scherzer may judge look, look human. But um, overall, man, you know, he bats against them enough times, and he sees them three times in a series. Aaron Judge is going to hit. 
is going to hit Max Scherzer. He can hit anybody in the game. I, I still like the Yankees. I don't know about winning it all, but I still like the Yankees and the Dodgers getting the World Series, just my opinion. Let's move over to something, Spence, and I'm going to bring you in now. Um, to talk about this, and it is uh, we're going to talk about Aces Up right now. Segment about the Las Vegas Aces, a great season by them. It has been so cool this year to watch Kelsey Plum uh, really step up her game, not only become an All Star MVP, but the second leading scorer right now in the WNBA, averaging a little bit over twenty points a game, almost six assists a game. She is really doing everything that was expected of her when she came out of college at Washington, one of the prolific scorers in in, in you know women's college basketball history, and now she has really proven that she is an elite player. The gold medal in the three on three in the Olympics wasn't a Luke. She is incredible. The Aces now seven games remaining in the season. They're the best team in the Western Conference still. Second best team in the league. One game behind the Eastern Conference leader, the Chicago Sky, for that best record. They played today in a game that they're probably going to be playing their bench half the game. No offense, but uh, the Indiana Fever are horrible. I think they've won five games all year. They play them at noon today. It's their first of their seven final games remaining, but this is a team this year. They got to the finals last year, Spencer. This is a team this year that even though Liz Campage has moved on, and we're going to talk about her in a minute, um, this team is really built to win now. And I think, you know, what's crazy is as much as I like Bill Lambert, and I thought I'd never say that, as a person now, I like him. I like what he did. I enjoyed his comical um, press conferences. But Becky Hams really is the real deal. And you see the difference in this team now, the belief they have in themselves, and especially the emergence of somebody to this degree of Kelsey Plum, how good this team could be. In my opinion, they need to win the, they need to win the WNBA title this year. They needed to win the NBA title in year two. <laughs> like after Asia Wilson came out the way that she did in her rookie season, that should have been the time. And there's no doubt, this has been the most talented team in the WNBA since the first year they came to Vegas, and they still are right now to this day. And hopefully they can prove that. But that's never been the issue, right? At the very least, you know, Lambeer, which I feel like he could fumble and still get there, but he's made the playoffs every consecutive season they have been in the league, and they've fallen short and they've gotten a little bit farther. But that's not going to cut it because you can't just keep these teams forever together. Like, you think back at the Kevin Durant Warriors, and now they've kind of figured it out. They have a great organization, and hopefully the, you know, the Aces have done that as well. There's been a lot of turnover. We've interviewed a lot of Aces GMs over the years, and we have nothing against them, obviously. They've all been very nice, but there's been a lack of stability. Like, the roster has been fairly stable, right? You lose Caleb McBride and Liz Cambage, but overall the core stayed the same. But you just when it comes to the from basketball – Things can change players' minds all the time. It's not football is much more difficult to move. There are a lot of logistics. And basketball, it seems to be a whim. And the NBA, like tenfold. I don't really know much about the WNBA, but I would imagine like as the players, the girls come to their own, you know, that might be more of a possibility. They gotta figure this out soon and get a championship. They need to be the first team in Las Vegas to bring them, and they have all the tools to do it. It's just when it comes to the playoffs, can they beat the veteran teams? That has killed them every single year in the playoffs. They have not been beat by an upcoming team. They take care of those teams early, and as soon as they play one of the better ones, they're done, like, quickly. So we'll see if they can get over the hump this year. Well, I think Becky Hammonds, again, is the reason they will get over the hump this year. You know, it's always going to be tough to win a championship, but I think uh, this is the year we're going to see Vegas move on and win this. They're so hungry. They're so determined uh, to win this championship. And, Mags, I don't know if you heard, but Kelsey Plum, uh, she made friends with Tom Brady back in May. 
uh, when he attended a game. And I guess, you know, he is like her favorite athlete in the world. So she was determined after the game to go up to him. She goes up to him and talks to him, and she barked at him like a dog. <laughs> and I guess Major Wilson said, well, I guess Tom Brady's never going to forget you. Not only didn't he forget her, he sent her a gift package with a personally autographed jersey, like saying you're the best or something like that, to her from Tom Brady and some pants. I mean, that is pretty damn cool. And, you know, I, I got to say, the WNBA, you got to be getting some recognition if Tom Brady's sending a player in the league an autographed jersey, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the great thing is when you go to Aces games, you really never know who you're going to see there. I mean, we, we've seen NBA stars at, at these games. Obviously, Tom Brady, we've seen some entertainment stars hanging out courtside at Aces games. I mean, it really is a, a, the, the place to be. Uh, you know, I'll say this about Kelsey Plum, and I know you mentioned that she's been on a high since the Olympics, and the, the, the Aces just defeated the Chicago Sky, right, the team that they actually are one game behind in, in, the, in the overall standings in the WNBA. They, they beat them for the Commissioner's Cup, and the game was, they, they, they kind of destroyed them. Uh, but I'll say this, Kelsey Plum, and I don't know how much of a push she's getting, in my opinion, She's the MVP of the WNBA. I mean, she she's not the best player in the WNBA. But, Brian, I mean, you look at the way that she's helping this team win games, and I know Asia Wilson is, is, is amazing. I mean, Asia Wilson has won an MVP. But we're seeing Kelsey Plum turn into the player she was at the University of Washington. Just clutch shots. She already broke the Aces record for three-pointers in a season. She did it about halfway through the season, which, which kind of, you know, Says the difference in styles between uh, Bill Beer and and um, uh, obviously Becky Hammond, but I mean Kelsey Plum, Brian, she is on a tear. I mean, like like I said, I I think she's making a serious serious push in a case to be the MVP of the entire league. And look, if the Aces win the the, the number one overall seed, someone else who 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 hasn't really gotten the she she was an all star, but how about Jackie Young? I was just going to say, you know, that, that, that first season, she struggled. And I, I, I think Becky Hammond has found a way to really uh, tap into the strengths of the players on their team and play a system that really allows her, her players. Chelsea Gray is, is another. Dierica Hamby, another really good player. I mean, the Aces right now, I, I think they're going to win the WNBA title. I just think they have that 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 bark. They've got the bite, too. And I think it starts with Becky Hammond, who, if you remember, I mean, I know Spencer's way too young to remember Becky Hammond when she was at Colorado State. But she was a a, a, a dog, you know, the way she played. I mean, she carried. I, I think they made an NCAA Final Four, if I'm not mistaken, when she Becky Hammond. She played like Kelsey Plum yes, is yes. playing. Yeah. And that is and that really is that indicative of Kelsey Plum's play. And you did mention I mean you stole my thunder because I was gonna say the backcourt of Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum is is almost unstoppable. And it did start at the Olympics, both of them on the three on three team that won Olympic gold. Um and um both of them, since then, they've just carried it on to this season, and the backcourt is so much fun to watch. And you're 100% right. Kelsey Plum has got to be considered for league MVP. She is, without question, the reason the Aces have stepped it up to another level. It's been a lot of fun to watch. It's a great time to go to those games and, and see this team. And like you said, you never know who is going to be there. Don't forget, again, everyone, if you don't know, 
Mark Davis owns the team, and Mark Davis happens to love the WNBA, and he's willing to put money into it because I'm not going to say that he wants the Aces to win a title more than he wants the Raiders to win a Super Bowl. That would be obviously very far-fetched. But, hey, he didn't buy this team just as a a little sideshow. He wants this team to win, and he wants the WNBA to thrive. And more owners like him getting into the league are going to do nothing but help this league out again that really suffered an incredible blow with the loss of Kobe Bryant, as he was without question one of the greatest spokespersons and ambassadors for the WNBA. And lastly, before we get off the subject, you know, Liz Campage, we mentioned it, she got what they call a contract divorce from the L.A. Sparks. Now, remember something. I know there's a lot of Liz Campage detractors out there and haters, and there were times she bothered us in the media, but let's not forget, she was drafted into the WNBA as a 19-year-old, which says a lot about her game and her potential in the league. She is a four-time All-Star in six WNBA seasons, a two-time All-WNBA player. Her career stats, almost 16 points a game average, almost just over seven, about six and a half rebounds a game, and over a block and a half a game in average. Um, her best seasons were 2018, and then when she came to the Aces in 2019, which were, she was considered one of the best players in the game. Um, is her career done? I mean, her ceiling was so high, but she never consistently reached it. Her height allowed her to be dominant at times. Um, but, you know, she's had so many black eyes. The remarks she made against the Nigerian national team, if you remember that, that was just a black eye on women's basketball in general. And then, you know, she did do some really good things. She spoke about her demons and her mental health issues and was an advocate on mental health outside of the game, which you always like to see players contributing. But, Chris, Liz Campage, I think we all felt at the end, was kind of becoming a little cancerous for the Aces. Nobody was super upset that she departed to the Sparks. I thought it was a good fit for her, and she seemed to like it there, but right away she was a problem in the locker room. She did what Liz Campage does. I know she's an aspiring DJ, an aspiring model, is she done playing basketball, do you think? Because we know she's done with the Australian national team as well. Well, I mean, the, the, here's the thing. she she. I think she still has the record for most points in a WNBA game, which she did. I think she was playing for the Dallas Wings at the time. The Dallas Wings were willing to, to trade her away. Um, I, I, I can't remember the name of the um, – and it doesn't matter. But the Dallas Wings traded her away. And she was she was a really good player. Like she was their best player. They were willing to give her away for for basically nothing. She comes to the Aces, and and there's all this excitement. You know, her and Asia Wilson are going to be this unbelievable tandem. I think as as her seasons went on, at in Las Vegas, I think we saw someone who wasn't committed, one hundred percent to playing basketball. And I mean, I'm not going to go as far as to call her a cancerous, but I will say she was a problem. And I, I think it was evident last season against the Phoenix Mercury in the playoffs. She barely put in an effort in that final yeah. quarter. And the Aces lost to the Phoenix Mercury because, for for lack of a better term, Liz Cambage quit on that team in the final well, game. Real and, quick, and, and, just to interfere, a lot of people, including Lambeer, that she never got her stamina back after COVID. Yeah, and you know, she. I, 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 to be fair... They, they apparently she was hospitalized in China when she first yep. caught it. So 
Um, you know, she was one of the early athletes to catch it. And and look, I'll I'll give Lambeer the benefit of the doubt. You know, I I don't think he would lie about that. So I give him the if, if that's what he says, and I I believe him one hundred percent. I just don't think the effort was there on her part. Like, if she was unable to play, then maybe she shouldn't have been in there, because there were there were there were moments in that game where Diana Tarazi was grabbing rebounds over her on offensive. You know, Tarazi was driving to the basket, getting her own rebound over Cam Bage. That that's unacceptable. Uh, I thought it was going to be fine in L.A. They're a team that clearly is not as good as as the Aces. But Brian, I mean, I I, I think her her. Basketball is a hobby to Liz Cambage. That's that's the feeling I got. Like her passion was not basketball. She was really good at basketball and she was able to make a career out of basketball. But I think for her, basketball was just a, a, a jumping off point for her to to endeavor into other projects. She DJed at, at the WNBA All Star game, um, you know, a couple of years ago when it was here in Vegas. They they had a big party and she was a DJ. You mentioned that's one of her uh, uh, other, uh, you know, things that she's interested in, and, and she's modeled. And and look, if if she can be successful in those two things, and and that's her passion, and that's what she wants to do, then you know what? Good good luck to her. You know, I I hope she finds the the success. But I don't think her heart was ever in basketball. I think she looked at it as a job or maybe a hobby. But I don't really know if she ever looked at it as a career. And. There, there were people who, who have found success in other walks of life. I mean, I look at a guy like Michael Strahan, right? Like, Michael Strahan was a really good football player. He still doesn't hold the sack record, by the way. He's all, he is in the Hall of but, Fame. But he is a Hall of Fame player. But Michael Strahan is, is, is a really good television personality. Like, he's doing game shows. I mean, he's a guy, like, I, I, I know, like, my wife and I, we were watching one of the game shows. I think it's Pyramid that he hosts. She had no idea he played football. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this guy was was a, was a professional football player like really, and, and really a really good, good but one. But he's been able to find a career away from football, and you know, to the point where there's now people who don't even know that Michael Strahan played in the NFL. So I think you know, for Cam Bage, if she's good at those things, then she'll find success. I, I I just don't know how much she was committed to the WNBA. I don't know how much she was committed to the LA Sparks. I mean. There, there were always the rumors that when she was traded from Dallas, she really didn't want to come to Vegas. She wanted to go to L.A. She ended up where she wanted to be, and it didn't work. So, you know, like I said, if her, if her, if she finds success in those other two things, then then great. You know, I mean, I, I don't think people should hold a grudge against her because she, she just didn't want to play basketball anymore. I mean, look, good luck. I Now, from a local perspective, I, I think it's kind of crappy that, that – the marriage here didn't end well, but you know, I mean, sometimes it's not going to work. And and you know, like I said, the best of luck to her in in whatever she wants to pursue. If she still wants to play basketball, good on her. Uh, you know, but but look, I mean, she she's got other interests, and by but you know, I mean, certainly you know, we've all seen her or heard about some of her her modeling stuff. So you know, it, it, it's good. I, I I think it's it's for her. It, it seems to suit her. She seems to really enjoy it. So, you know, best of luck.
we'll see what happens with Liz Campaign. She does like to model. She likes to take her clothes off. And, hey, for a woman that's heard of this tall, is a very, very attractive woman. I wish her nothing but the best. Truly, you know, we like again, she she has talked about mental health issues before. She she definitely has been a distraction at times. She was a very good basketball player. And as you mentioned, Chris, she really just used the WNBA in basketball, I think, as a gateway into another career. And, hey, to be able to parlay especially the WNBA into another career that shows you that WNBA is gaining some prominence. So that's cool as well. Real quickly, I want to do a quick update on the aviators. You know, the aviators, the Las Vegas aviators are in second place in the Western division of the Pacific coast, League, two and a half games behind the Reno aces. And after today's game in Albuquerque, they come home for six games next week against the aces. Great opportunity to see some great ball, a uh, great baseball at the nicest, facility, minor league facility in uh, minor league baseball. There's nothing like the Las Vegas ballpark. If you haven't been out there, get out there. And it's pretty cool. The Aces trying to get back in the playoffs again this year, and uh, they're only two and a half games back, and they got a chance to turn it all around with six games against the Reno Aces. So definitely check them out. And finally, something I wanted to get to, uh, the Bones, uh, bringing back the Raiders report. We'll get some theme music for that down the road. Uh, the, the Raiders are already in camp and getting ready to play the first NFL preseason game of the year this Thursday in the annual Hall of Fame game. They're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, which which will be interesting. Jacksonville, some more moves this year. They've had the first pick in the NFL draft the last two seasons. Uh, picked up, you know, arguably the best edge rusher in the NFL draft, the guy that's going to make an immediate impact for the Jaguars. And, of course, last year getting the quarterback that everyone waited three years to come out of Clemson and come into the NFL uh, next year is going to be a telltale sign of how good Trevor Lawrence can be. I don't think last year was indicative of his ability to play the game, although to me he looked out of sorts and he looks like he definitely has to learn. But the Raiders, um, it's funny because amongst the media, amongst people in the know, they feel that the Raiders maybe have taken a little bit of a step back. Not with Josh McDaniels, the coach. I know everyone's like, wow, what do you mean they got Devontae Adams? I mean, that's gigantic, right? Arguably one of the top two, three receivers in the game. Derek Carr, look at the year they had last year. They went to the postseason with all the turmoil of John Gruden, you know, the turmoil of Henry Ruggs. Everything that went on this team endured, made it to the playoffs, and literally went toe-to-toe with the AFC champion. That, that, that played that represented the AFC in the Super Bowl and the Cincinnati Bengals. So you would think there would be more expectations. Media saying, no, watch out. The defense is not as good as last year. They lost some players, although you did see Perryman who came over from the Panthers, turned himself into a pro bowler last year, picked up another edge rusher to go along with uh, Max Crosby, already one of the, probably the top seven edge rushers in the National Football League. So you're going to have a good pass rush. You've got a good run stopper and a good defender, even on the pass in Perryman. A little bit weak over the top, but offensively, you've got three, possibly four potential all-pro players on this offense. But yet, the media says, don't expect much of the Raiders. But when I hear people talking around town, uh, Spencer, and they're talking about the Raiders, they expect a lot, and that is the fan base. They want this team to win. They feel that picking up Devontae Adams was a step in that direction. And I don't think people are going to settle for this team stepping up that step back. And I understand the AFC West is maybe the best division in football, uh, although the NFC West might argue that. But they're going to say they're the best division in football. They've got nothing but 
better. San Diego looks like an all-pro team. You've still got Kansas City, who's going to be tough. And, and Russell Wilson got picked up by the Broncos. So all of a sudden, the Raiders now are supposed to be the little sister again. As a fan and as a person in the media space, what do you think? Well, as a fan, I'm going to wake up early on Sundays, and I'm going to put on a Raiders jersey, and I'm going to watch my team play. This is how it works. And I'll root for them to win every single game, no matter what. That's how it is. That's how it's been since, since I've been little. But since I've been little is the key word in this conversation. A playoff berth is worth nothing to Raiders fans. I, watched, I was watching in bed uh, the other night the 2002 AFC Championship game between the Raiders and the Titans, a game in which the Raiders hosted, by the way, and Rich Gannon went 10 for 10, 231, and two touchdowns on the first two drives of that game. I'll never forget it. And I think that has been forgotten inside Raiders fandom because they haven't done anything since 2002. They have done nothing in my lifetime. So when you see the division get a lot better, you see the Raiders bounce in the wild card, it's just the Raiders fans will never believe it until they see it. They show up in droves. There's no doubt about that. The craziness of the Raiders fandom has never died down, and I don't think it ever will. But I think it's not uh, out of pocket for us to act somber uh, going into the season, especially as the team got better in some areas, but significantly worse in others. The thing, yeah, they might not be the top dog in the AFC West, despite all of the crazy moves they have made this offseason. But what do you think, you know, and, and I understand what you're saying. What do, you, what do you expect the record to be, and do you think it's fair for people to expect them to make the playoffs, or is it fair for the media to expect them to not make the playoffs? I'm telling you right now, my expectations are, yes, I am concerned about their defense, especially the defensive secondary, which is young. You lost a player last year that was an up-and-comer, a top-round draft pick, uh, you know, with the gun incident. You know what I'm talking about there. Um, you, lost, you, lost another, you lost another veteran last year that you picked up that really helped, helped uh, unite that secondary. He's gone, but, um, you know, I still had expectations. I mean, you know, I didn't love the press conference. Josh McDaniel kind of like, oh, every coach plays it by ear. Uh, you know, yeah, no, no set plans for training camp. It, it sounded unorganized to me. It sounded like he wasn't prepared for that question, and it almost sounded unorganized. I'm not going to say Josh McDaniels isn't organized. He's a guy with plenty of experience, plenty of tenure in the NFL. But I didn't love the press conference. I think you go in with a definitive game plan. I think you know the weapons that are coming that are coming in. You also know the guys that you picked up in the draft. And you've got to have an idea of what's going on. Now, maybe he does, and he just pretended he was somewhat aloof. But I just thought that was really strange to basically say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we've got when we get there. Yeah, I, I just don't like that attitude, Spencer. I do not dislike Josh McDaniels. Daniels, I don't know if he's the long-term answer for this team, but again, picking up a free agent like Devontae Adams and paying him big money, and then you've already got a guy, you know, you've already got a guy in Hunter Renfro who is now an all-pro player in the slot. You've got Adams, um, you've got a couple of other capable receivers, you've got one, arguably one of the top three, four at worst tight ends in the game in Darren Waller, and Derek Carr, a guy who has Pro Bowl potential all over him, he has been in this league long enough now where this is a time he should be in his complete prime as an NFL quarterback. Yes, the offensive line has to get a little bit, little bit better. Leatherwood wasn't quite the player they expected when they picked him up with the first pick in the draft last year. But I look at this team, and again, Josh Jacobs in the running, the running game, they've got depth at the running back position. I don't know how you say this team 
should not be a playoff contender, regardless of the fact defense wins championships. I am a concerned on their secondary. Their offense should be able to score pretty much against anybody and be able to match touchdowns. And again, with the edge rushers the Raiders have right now, they should be able to be disruptive in almost any offensive backfield. Well, okay, I feel like the season comes down to two very important factors, and this is going to sound overly extreme, but I think it's how it is. So they got rid of K.J. Wright and Casey Hayward, two of the most important players on the defense last year. Maybe it's because of salary cap, I'm not sure. But Casey Hayward was unironically the best cornerback the Raiders have had since Namdi Asawa when I was a child. So Jay and Brown came in to replace K.J. He's an injury-prone linebacker from Tennessee, now, he's good when he plays, but can he stay healthy? Because other than that, they have literally nobody at the linebacker position of notice. We talked about Perryman, but there's also two other linebackers on the team. The other player is Nate Hobbs. So he was an undrafted rookie, if I'm not mistaken, last year. And Pro Football Focus rated him the, like, the number one slot corner in the NFL. Like His grades were just that good. I don't, I'm not really that big of a believer in just pure like, PFF stats. I think that's kind of ridiculous. But those two players are so important for the team that if they don't figure it out, if they're not elite, then they're done for. So, if okay, are they going to avoid a sweep from the Chiefs? And are they going to avoid a sweep from the Chargers? That's probably. And are they going to avoid a, cheat, uh, a sweep from the Broncos? See that one? I'm not so sure. I'm sure they're probably going to at least split. Can they avoid the sweeps for those other two teams? Because that's the only way they're going to get to the playoffs. I feel like is if they can get through the Chargers and Chiefs at least going fifty fifty. You know, it, it, it is. There's no question. And I said that before. The NFC, or excuse me, the AFC West is going to be extremely. So the NFC West, but going to be extremely tough. And and I think the Denver's uh, Russell Wilson, a dramatic improvement for that team. They've got to protect him. They've got to have players from to get the ball to. They've got to play sound defensively. But it is a dramatic improvement. They haven't had a quarterback there since Peyton Manning, and Peyton Manning was at the end of his career, and, and, and literally when he won his last Super Bowl, he had nothing in the tank at all. It was the defense and Von Miller that won that Super Bowl for the Denver Broncos. But um, I still think the Raiders, we should see an improvement in this team. They should bond together. And like I said, the offensive line and the defensive secondary are obviously still the two biggest areas of concern, but they've added some good players. Adding to Marcus Robinson this year was huge from the Kansas City Chiefs, and I expect them to do pretty damn good this year. I'm going to say that the Raiders will find a way to be a wild-card team again and, and make the postseason. I think the San Diego Chargers are going to win the AFC West this year. I don't know how they don't, and that leaves the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos, and it's going to be interesting. That's all I'm going to say, but I'm going to, I am going to say I think the Raiders will make the playoffs this season. Listen, we are just about out of time. We've got about a minute left to go in the show. And, I, again, I want to thank everyone for the last couple of weeks uh, picking it up for me. Um, pretty cool. And I also want to let you know at this time next week, um, I will be able to talk about uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I did want to say that I got uh, – since I don't know if I told you this. I think Magna might have been involved in the, uh, the messaging we were doing yesterday. But I got a message yesterday, a text message from uh, one of Chad Smith's best friends in Detroit growing up. And I grew up with Chad Smith as well. I've known him since high school, the drummer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I got a text yesterday asking me for my email address because Chad is putting me on the guest list for the concert on August the 6th, which is, which is uh, next Saturday. At uh, I- I'm really excited here in Las Vegas. So, Chris, I know you saw that. We had Remember, Chris, we had Chad on the show not too long ago, a couple years back. Yeah, during the Super Bowl. He announced my nickname to all of Las Vegas. Uh, I'm sure he'll yell it again when I see him at the Chili Peppers. The backstage at the, at the Chili Peppers is going to be off with Freddie for me next week. Listen, we're out of time. want to thank Chris back in studio. Of course, Spencer, the Wiz Ostrowski, 
uh, sitting here with me in the Wiz Den and all of you out there. We will be back next week, and we'll be and we'll be previewing or ta- not previewing, but talking about a Raiders football game that happens this Thursday in the Hall of Fame game. I'm Brian Feldman. This is Out of Line, Fox Sports Radio, every Sunday at eight. We'll see you. Next-